And like we've said, we're going to celebrate baptisms today. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, that's probably something that you're pretty familiar with. You know, if you grew up in a church or um, you've just been here for a while, you've heard that word come up. But if you're maybe visiting for the first time today, maybe to support a family member or friend, or you just happen to come check this church out for the first time today, that might be something that you might have questions about. And so we're going to talk a little bit about baptism tonight, today, tonight, this morning. It's not that late yet. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about baptism this, this morning. And really, baptism is a tradition that millions of people have participated in over thousands of years. And many traditional and orthodox churches have long considered baptism what they call a sacrament. A sacrament. It's called the sacrament of baptism. By definition, a sacrament is a religious ceremony or an act of the Christian church that is regarded as an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual divine grace. And that's what baptism is. It's an outward public sign of an inward and divine grace. When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then there's this inward grace that God gives them as the Holy Spirit lives inside that person that's, that's just imparted to them. And water baptism has been the traditional way of displaying our inward faith in an outward manner. And in some church traditions, you know, uh, people are baptized as infants, while others wait until they're older as ch- children or even into adulthood. And some people get baptized outside in rivers and ponds and lakes, and uh, others use indoor baby pools or hot tubs. Some baptisms happen where the person is fully immersed under the water and then lifted back up out of the water. And other times, it involves pouring water over their forehead or sprinkling water on them. Baptism has taken many different forms in the Big C Church over the years. And I do just want to say that we recognize that other churches may have different practices of baptisms than we do. But we We believe that it's okay if there's some disagreement between sincere Christians uh, regarding baptism. That's that's okay, that it should not be something that divides us as a larger church. But here at the Vineyard, our tradition is that any person who wants to be baptized, they've committed their life to Jesus, and we've asked them to, they're around or older than 10 years old, just so they understand, of an age, they understand what they're saying and declaring. And then we're going to fully immerse them in water back here on stage up here in the floor here in this nice, warm hot tub. I think it's still warm. It was warm earlier. But let's pray real quick, and then we'll talk more about this. So God, we thank you for the gift of baptism. And I, I pray that you would be just really, really close and near today, especially to those individuals who have said, yeah, I, I want to do that. I want to be baptized. And we just thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm sure, again, if you're someone who's not familiar with baptism, or if you are, kind of imagine what it would be like to be hearing that for the first time. If you think about it, it's kind of an odd tradition. (laughs) I mean, here, let me dunk your head underwater, pull you up, and then you get to walk out in your clothes like you just fell fell in a pool. And we're all going to cheer and clap for you. Right? It's an odd thing to do. It's an odd, it's an odd idea. But why? it's important that we understand why we do that. What are really the roots of baptism? And that's the first point in your notes. What are the roots of baptism? Where does it really come from? You know, in the Bible, there are four 
Greek words in the New Testament that are used to describe baptism. And these are those words. Baptizo, baptismos, baptisma, and baptistes. And they all have to do, and they all have to do with washing or submerging, immersing, dipping, or soaking. And the last word up there, baptistes, is a person. It's someone who participates in those things. So what I Oftentimes we read the word baptism, it instantly sounds like a spiritual word, a, a Christian word or a Jewish word in the Old Testament or referring to things. But really in the Bible, it, it was a word, these words were used by all Greek speakers. They really just meant to wash or clean something. They were common words, not necessarily spiritual words, and they were also used many times metaphorically to talk about feeling overcome or overwhelmed by something. Kind of like we do today in our culture where we, we might say things like, I'm drowning in my bills, right? Or I'm, you know, I'm drowning in debt. We, we're talking about that feeling of feeling overwhelmed, overcome by something. We use analogies like that, and that's the same way that these words were used. But when many people think of baptism, they think of, they think of a person, they think of John the Baptist. More correctly, he would have been known as John the Baptizer, or even more correctly, John the Baptistes like we talked about. But John was the older cousin of Jesus, and he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he was a priest, and he lived in the first century. And he was best known for baptizing people, in the, Jewish people, in the Jordan River. And during his time, during his time of active ministry, large numbers of people would come to him from all around, and they would listen to him speak, and they would walk down into the Jordan River, and he would dip them down and immerse them under the water and lift them back up. And if you know the story at all, he actually baptized Jesus himself this way too. But the biblical roots of water baptism actually go back much, much further than that. Much, much further than John the Baptist. They really go back about 1,500 years to the time of Moses to the time of Moses. See, when God delivered the Hebrew people out of Egypt, God made a covenant with them, like a, a holy contract. And, and in that contract, part of, part of what, it became known as the law, but part of that law described a lot of cleansing rituals and cleansing requirements. So for example, when, when someone would come in contact with the, a carcass of a dead animal, Okay, an unclean animal, or when someone, maybe a family member passed away and they touched their body, or if maybe they had some sort of a disease or um, a skin disease or something like that, they would, they would participate in these different water cleansing rituals, baptisms of sorts. And I, I just think that that's, this is just kind of a sign. I think this is just so cool that like thousands of years before scientists would figure out that germs were spread from people to people, contact to contact. And, and oftentimes, um, you know, uh, if germs could be a, infect a, a dead animal or something like that, 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 that could be a way that germs could be spread and bacteria grow, that long before that, that God knew, God knew that's, a, that how, that's how people spread diseases. And he put these cleansing rituals, not just in a spiritual sense, but also just to take care of them physically. And I just, I just think that's really cool. But, but in the Old Testament law, before going into the tent of meeting where God was, the priests, the first high priest, Aaron and then his sons, before they could go into the, temp, into the tent of meeting, they had to go through a ceremonial washing 
a baptism of sorts, and they, they had to wash their hands and their feet in this basin of water. And eventually, the, the tent of meeting was replaced by this amazing temple that King Solomon built. And this idea of the basin expanded. It, it became, they built this huge, huge basin that was known as the Bronze Sea. And it held, it held like 12,000 gallons of water. It was like a swimming pool. And, and this was used as, um, as, uh, for their cleansing rituals as well. But, but in 586 BC, when the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple, the Jews had to be a little creative in how they continued their rituals because they couldn't do it in the same way they had in the past. And by the time that John the Baptist and Jesus had kind of come on the scene, the Jewish people had built hundreds of these ritual immersion pools all around Jerusalem and Israel called mikvahs. Yeah, that's, this is a picture of archaeologists have found, all, discovered all these mikvah pools. And basically, it was be filled with water. And you could step down the steps into the water just like steps in a pool. Might. Some pools have steps going down into them. And people would, if they needed to undergo one of these cleansing rituals, they would basically baptize themselves or wash themselves by immersing themselves in water and then coming back out. And some were smaller like this one, and others were much larger. There were ones like the Pool of Bethesda and the Pool of Siloam are mentioned in the Gospel of John as two larger of these immersion pools or these mikvahs. But here we see that the practice of baptizo or baptism was not just for priests, but really it was for all Jewish people to fulfill their cleansing rituals in their law and tradition. And a couple of weeks ago, I, um, I had gone to my son's soccer game and it was really hot. And I had, I think, like a short sleeve shirt on. And um, later that day, I just, I was like, oh, I thought I had the worst sunburn on my shoulder up here. I just felt like somebody had taken a hot iron and stuck it on my shoulder. It just was so painful. And I thought, oh, I didn't think to put sunscreen on. But then I'd also like exercise that day. And later that night, this whole shoulder, like I thought I tore a muscle or I thought I tore my rotator cuff or something. It was just so painful. And I didn't even cross my mind that, oh, it's interesting, coincidence. These two things are on the same exact spot. Well, the next day, the next day, I got this pussy, oozy rash that popped up all on the same shoulder. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, and I got poison ivy. How did I get poison ivy? Where did that come from? I didn't, for 10 days, it didn't even cross my mind that, huh, all three of these things are in the exact same spot. I wonder if they have anything to do with each other. But 10 days, after 10 days, it didn't really go away. I finally thought I should go to the doctor. And sure enough, I didn't have a sunburn. And I didn't tear my rotator cuff. And I didn't have poison ivy. I had shingles. I had shingles. If you've ever had shingles, it's quite painful. It's not fun. I would not recommend it. But by the time I got to the doctor, they said, yeah, if you would have come like a week ago, we could have helped you out. But now you kind of just have to ride it out. Like, there's really not much we can do for you. Um, but why do I bring that story up? Because what does that have to do with baptism? Well, if I, if I would have been a good Jewish lad living at the time of Jesus or John the Baptist, my skin condition, that pussing and oozing, would have been considered a form of leprosy. Leprosy. And I... I would have sure been hanging out in those mikvah pools like every day, following those cleansing rituals, hoping that God would heal that and cleanse that, cleanse that. This was, so this was a part of their culture. This was a part of their customs. 
And so when John began baptizing people in the Jordan River, it wasn't this completely brand new idea that we, I think we often think it is. Jewish people were used to this idea of ceremonial washing. But there was one thing that was really unique and different about what John was doing. One thing that was profoundly different is that he was prophetically inviting people, inviting people to be baptized because the kingdom of God was near. The kingdom of God was near. Now, to us, that might not mean a lot, but to the Jewish people, that meant everything because that meant that the Messiah was coming, not just someday, but like now. The Messiah was coming. The kingdom of God was at hand. And, and for hundreds of years, there'd, there'd been no prophets talking like John was talking. No, nobody speaking like that. They had been waiting and waiting, and now the time was here. And there was this anticipation in the air. There was this excitement. There was a shock. Wait, wait, what? The Messiah's coming? You know, the kingdom of God is here? What? I wonder how many people heard and saw John the Baptist and had an expression on their face like this, guys. Let me go put that. Yeah. Okay? I mean, that is a shocked man, right? So if you don't recognize that picture, you, that was picture, I snapped that picture after the Penn State-Ohio State game last week when Penn State fans quickly realized that Ohio State was coming back and they were going to lose. But I love his beard, by the way, too. He could totally fit in the first century, I think. It'd be perfect. But... But there was this shock. There was this excitement. Wow, this God is on the move. God is doing something. You can take that picture down because we don't, don't want to look at it for too long. But um, so this is some of the history or the roots behind baptism. If that's true, then why do we still practice this today? Why do Christians still practice and continue the sacrament of baptism today? Because most of us are not Jewish. And we don't follow the Old Testament cleansing rituals, so why would we still do this tradition? Well, that's the second point you note that we're going to talk about, is reasons for baptism. And I want to talk about three main reasons, three main reasons that we still practice this tradition. And the first one is just like why people went to John the Baptist about it. It's a symbol of repentance. It's a symbol of repentance. Read with me what it says in Mark chapter 1. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So here we, here we see John is inviting and challenging the Israelite people to acknowledge and confess their sins and to be baptized as a sign of repentance to turn away and turn around from their sin. It's an invitation to, to let go of one's pride, to stop acting like you have it all together, to be humble, to receive forgiveness, and as an outward sign of that, become baptized. And this is a part of the reason why we practice baptism today. It's a symbol of our repentance, of acknowledging that we too are sinners, that we mess up, that we've missed the mark, that we don't have it all together, and that we need to turn away from all of that and turn towards God. So that's the first thing. But it's, the second thing is it's also a symbol of spiritual cleansing. Spiritual cleansing, not necessarily physical cleansing, but spiritual cleansing. It was always meant to be a symbol of spiritual cleansing, even back in Exodus. In Exodus 30, it says this, 17, verses 17 through 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin and with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. 
And Aaron and his sons, the high priests here, are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so they will not die. Why do Aaron and his sons, the priests, need to wash their hands and feet? Why? Is it because all-powerful God is concerned about catching a cold from them? No. It's nothing to do with germs or anything, viruses. It has nothing to do with that. Of course not. It's not so their hands and feet are physically clean, but it's a symbol of being spiritually clean because a holy and perfect, sinless God cannot be in the presence of unholy, imperfect, sinful people like you and me. And so there has to be some sort of a cleansing that happens prior to that. And that's what this whole verse is talking about. This is what this whole verse is pointing towards. Christian author John Schoenheit put it this way. He says this. Physical cleansing was a wonderful outward demonstration of the desire of the heart to be clean before God. But it was God. It was God, not a physical washing, who made people clean. It was God who did it. It's God who makes us spiritually clean, not the water itself. This physical washing is a symbol of how God had purified Aaron and his sons and was making them spiritually clean so they could survive to tell about it. And in the first century, in the first century, when it was the time of John the Baptist and Jesus, the Jewish people, this is interesting, um, the Jewish people had had a bunch of traditions that they had passed down. And um, it's written down in a, a, a book called the, the Mishnah, the Mishnah. And one of, some of those oral traditions talked about how there were these six different levels of water. So that water, there were different categories of water, some being more pure or more holy to be used in these cleansing rituals, and some not so much. So like rainwater or water from a well, that was okay. That was okay, but it wasn't the best kind of water. The best kind of water that Jews believed was the most holy, was, um, came from, they believed, God's hand himself. It came from a natural source, a natural spring that flowed, you know, rivers that flowed. So it's no surprise that John the Baptist and later Jesus' disciples chose to baptize in the Jordan River because in their minds, that was, the, that was some of the purest, holiest water to be baptized in. But what I find is so fascinating is the English translation for this kind of water, this best most holy water is called, we, we translate it to be called living water. Living water. And why is that important? It's important because Jesus, in the Gospel of John, says this in chapter 7. He says this, and on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Rivers of living. This was radical. This was radical. Jesus was saying that if you put your faith in me, then you will have rivers of living water flowing inside of you. That you will be spiritually clean forever. That you don't have to keep going back to the mikvah pools and back and getting every time you, and in some reason you're unclean, you have to keep doing that over and over and over again because you're going to have living water living in you, going with you everywhere you go. And what is he referring to? He's talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the presence of God being in you and in me. God is making us spiritually clean now and forever. This was radical. 
This was radical to them. And the third reason for baptism is this. It's a symbol of initiation. It's a symbol of initiation. You know, in our culture today, we have lots of symbols of initiation. You know, graduations, right? We dress up in gowns and square hats with funny little tassels, and we walk across stages and, and get pieces of paper with our name on them. Why? Because, because we've moved from being student to being skilled. We're being initiated into something new. We're moving from some old way of life or old way of doing things or old experience into something new. And that's what graduation's about, right? Weddings, marriage ceremonies, that's another symbol of initiation. You know, at weddings, we dress up in fancy gowns, we put on tuxedos or nice suits, we say vows and I do's and we shed tears of joy and we shove cake in each other's faces, right? We, why do we do all that stuff? Why? Because it's a symbolizing moving from initiating something new, moving from the old single life to someone's new married life for that couple, and we're celebrating that for them. And we like to take pictures of our kids on their first days of school, and we make them hold signs with, you know, what grade they're going into with their cute little backpacks and lunchboxes. Why do we do that? Because it's symbolizing moving in, moving to the next grade or to the next stage of life. And baptism is a symbol of initiation, too. It's a symbol of initiation, too. In the Bible, we find that water, water and cleansing and washing is constantly involved in transition from old things to new things, when God is doing something new. And we, the very beginning of the whole book of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the very beginning, when God is creating everything, and he's doing this, this new project that he has, this new amazing thing, what is he doing? He's hovering over the water. There's water there. He's starting something new. A few chapters later, when the people have fallen into great sin, so much that God decides he's gonna save Noah and his family and he's gonna baptize the whole earth with a flood. He's gonna baptize the whole earth, and he's gonna start something new. And the disciple Peter talks about this in his first letter. He refers back to this idea of Noah and the flood as a baptism. It says this in 1 Peter 20 and 21, only eight people, only eight people, Noah and his family were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you, not by removing the dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. And it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The flood was a form of baptism, of initiating Noah and his family into something new that God was doing. But it was pointing to an even greater initiation that would eventually come in Jesus an even greater baptism that would come in him and in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was a pointer to that. And a little bit later in the Bible, when the Israelites are, are leaving behind slavery in Egypt and God does this amazing miracle, he parts the Red Sea and the people walk through on dry ground. You know, and on one hand of the Red, on the beginning of, before they walk through the Red Sea, they're slaves. And by the time they've gotten to the other side of the Red Sea and they come out, they're free. And God has created something new. 
he's created a new nation that he called Israel, that he called Israel. And Paul, the apostle Paul in the Bible, talks about this event and their history as being a baptism. In 1 Corinthians, he writes this. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. And in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. So when John the Baptist and later Jesus and his disciples start immersing people in the Jordan River, it's not only a symbol of of repentance, it's not only a symbol of spiritual cleansing, it's a symbol of initiation, of initiation, going from something old to something new, a symbol of moving from death to the old way of life to resurrection of the new way of life in Jesus Christ. And today, today of all the rituals of initiation that we have in our culture, graduations and weddings and first days of kindergarten, to all, all those things are, the greatest of these things should be baptism. The greatest, because, because all those other things symbolize wonderful things to celebrate, but they're only temporary and earthly. Baptism has eternal significance. It's a symbol that has eternal significance. You know, in all the ceremonies that we look forward to in our, in our own lives and in our kids' lives, I, I had the pleasure at the nine o'clock service to baptize my oldest daughter today. Of all the symbols of, it, of initiation that I look forward to in my kids' lives and my friends' lives and, and many of your lives, baptism is up there at the highest because of what it symbolizes. This abundant life with God. This abundant life with God. Now, Andrew, it sounds like you're implying, it sounds like you're saying, I have to be baptized. I, like, I have to do that. Do I have to be baptized to be saved? Is it essential? Is that what you're saying? Well, that's, that's actually not what I'm saying. No, don't hear that. I am not saying that. Our salvation, our salvation is only found in placing our faith in Jesus, who is our true living water putting our trust in his death as payment for our wrongs and his resurrection as evidence of our new eternal life with God. As we go down into the water, it symbolizes our own death. And as we come out of the water, it symbolizes a new initiation into new life, a wonderful life, a free life, an abundant life with God. You know, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus is in process of dying on the cross He's dying on the cross. And there's a man to one of his sides who turns to Jesus, and he's done terrible things. He's done terrible things, and he turns to Jesus, and he basically says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that was his way of saying, I get it now. I, I get it now. I need to put my faith in you. Will you remember me? And what did Jesus say? Did he say to him, sorry, too late, you didn't get baptized? No. He didn't say that at all. He didn't say, sorry, too late, you ran out of time. You gotta do all these wonderful things first. No, he didn't say that. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. That was enough. That was enough. And it's enough for you and me. But baptism, baptism, while it may not be essential, it's really not optional either. And I know that sounds like they contradict each other, but let me explain that. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples, go and make new disciples and baptize them. And when he says go, it's not a if you feel like it or when you get around to it. It's a command. It's a command. And really, it's an invitation. 
It's an invitation to respond to what God's doing in our life. Baptism is like a wedding ring. It's like a wedding ring. In our culture, a wedding ring is an outward symbol that I'm married, that I'm married. But do I have to wear a wedding ring to be married? No, I don't have to. I can be married and not have a wedding ring on. You know, my commitment to my wife, Sarah, is it's, it's internal, it's, it's for the rest of our lives, and I can be in a, a covenant relationship with her, a commitment with her, and I don't have to wear this wedding ring. But should I wear this wedding ring? Probably. You know, if I went to my wife and I said, hey, love, I just, this thing is awkward, and I just don't really want, you know, everybody I know to know that we're married, and, you know, I just would rather kind of keep that between you and me, it's just personal between us. I don't, I don't think she'd take that very well. What do you think? I don't think she'd have to say anything. I think she would just give me that look. That look that like, do you have a death wish? Like, what do you think you're talking about? The truth is, when I got married, I was excited to wear this ring. I was ecstatic to wear this ring. I was, I was proud to announce to the whole world that I am not in the market, near the market. There is no market. She has my whole heart. And I, I'm glad to announce that to everybody around. And that, the, and I, I get it, I get it though, that like this analogy of marriage, of weddings, that, that this can, for some of us, this can be, bring up like a lot of warm, great feelings, but for others of us, this brings up sadness, this brings up disappointment and loneliness. But even the best of marriages, even the best is but a shadow it's a, shadow, it's a taste of the intimate, loving relationship that God desires to have with you and me. Just a shadow of it. It's not essential, but it is an outward symbol of our intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior. It's like, this, like a wedding ring. It's an outward expression of the inward initiation that the Holy Spirit has already conducted in our hearts when we first said yes to God when we first experienced his love for us. During worship last night, I had this picture, and this was a picture of, of Jesus walking around the room, and he was going up to men and women, young and old, and he was literally getting down on one knee and proposing to you and me. He was proposing to us. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to that proposal, if you've never realized his love for you is so great, so great that he died for you, that he wants to have an intimate relationship with you like a marriage, then all you have to do is say yes. It's that simple. It starts with that simple, starting saying yes with your whole mind and your whole heart. I would encourage you, if you've never done that, to just have a moment with God right now in your mind. Just have that conversation with God. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. I promise you that. But for those of us who've already entered a relationship with God and we've already been baptized, you know, as we watch these people who have said they want to do this today, we need to remember our own baptisms. And that's the third and final point in your notes. That, that, and this is a common phrase in church tradition, to remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. And as we've been talking about weddings, you know, when I go to a wedding and I sit in the audience and I get to sit next to my wife, Sarah, and I, I watch the groom get all teary-eyed as his beautiful bride walks down the aisle, I am instantly taken back to the day 
when I got all teary-eyed watching my bride walk down the aisle. And when they exchange rings, I instantly grab my wife's hand, Sarah, and play and spin her ring on her hand as a remembering putting that ring on for the first time. And when they say their vows and I do's, you know, I turn to my wife and I think, I would say those vows and those I do's again and again and again. Maybe not as naive the first, as the first time I said it, but I would do it again every day. And for those of us who have been baptized already, we should be remembering it like this, the joy of our own baptism, the joy of our first love, Jesus. And as we watch these people getting baptized today, let us remember that moment and recommit ourselves to him as we, as we celebrate, as we worship with shouts of praise and singing. Let us remember that. And so just to end, before we have people come up here, in the book of Acts, there's this story in the book of Acts of a man named Philip. And Philip's traveling along the road, and as he's going along the road, he comes across another man who's also traveling, an Ethiopian man who was a eunuch. And this man happened to be riding in his chariot, and as he was riding in his chariot, he was reading out loud the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And Philip and him strike up a conversation, and, and this man, and he um, says to this Ethiopian man, says to Philip, I don't know what this guy is talking about in this, in this book. I don't know what Isaiah means here by all this. And Philip said to him, I know, I know what he's talking about. I know who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And Philip goes on to tell him all about Jesus and what Jesus had done. And this man gives his life to God. And he commits his life to Jesus. And then read with me what we read here in Acts, what he does next. It says this in Acts 8. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch, the Ethiopian man, said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And I hope... I hope that in heaven there's rewind. I hope there's a rewind. I want to I wanna see this, this play out in real life. And not only that, I want to see what, what it played out and looked like in heaven too. Because I think that on that day, when this man responded to what God was doing in his life and said, here's water right now, let's be let, baptize me. I think that all of, a, of heaven all the angels and the saints just erupted in celebration. I think they just erupted in celebration. I believe that all of heaven is waiting in anticipation to celebrate with those of you who today who have decided to be baptized, that there is gonna be shouts of praise and joy in your decision today. So I would, I would leave you with this. I will ask you all this same question today. I'm going to go ahead and put up that next slide. Look, there's water here. What is stopping you from being baptized today? What is stopping you? You know, I, I believe here that there are people here today who maybe you've been flirting with Christianity, maybe you've been hanging out with Jesus, you've been dating, and it's time to publicly tie the knot. And I'm pretty sure it was the great theologian Beyonce who said it like this. Don't leave today thinking you should have put a ring on it. 
Don't leave today. We have, if you're wearing clothes, we have lots of extra clothes, all different sizes. You can get baptized in that and then go home in the dry clothes you're wearing. But don't miss this opportunity to publicly just display your love for God. Whether you've been a Christian for three minutes now or for 30 years, if you've never been baptized, you are more than welcome to get baptized. We would love it. We would love to baptize you today. Now, if you're between ages 10 and 18, you might want to have a quick talk with your parents if they're here right now. But I would encourage you to do that. If God's putting that on your heart, don't miss this opportunity to be obedient to him. Don't miss it.